Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, we want to continue, I want to continue in the series, I feel a very, very timely and important series speaking to the church on the subject of forgiveness. Uh, This is entitled, The Power of Forgiveness. And we began talking about the first level of forgiveness, which is seeking forgiveness from God. That was week one. Last week, we covered the second level of forgiveness, which is forgiving ourselves. And today, we're going to talk about the third level of forgiveness, which is forgiving others. And this one can be tough. I thought I'd have a few amens on that. You know, many of you are familiar with what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, right? You can find this uh, model of prayer in a couple places in the Bible, Matthew 6, Luke 11. And many of you can, you know, recite it verbatim, I'm sure. The Lord's Prayer says this, it begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Any of you ever wondered or you stopped and thought, what does hallowed mean? It's like hollowing out a log. What hollowed? What is? Here's what that means. Hollowed means simply to honor God's name because it's holy. Hollowed be that holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let me see your hand if you're familiar with that prayer. That's right. If you've been in church for more than six months, you are familiar with that prayer. A lot of you have heard that prayer. Who knows how many times in your lives. But I want us to focus this morning on that little phrase that's tucked right there in the middle that says, forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. This particular phrase is very easy to say, not always as easy to actually do. I tell you, this third level of forgiveness can be a real stinker sometimes. Who knows what I'm talking about? No matter how you slice it, though, the Bible is so very clear that just as God forgives us, we must forgive others, or else His forgiveness is not ours. During my now, I don't know, 30-some years in ministry, I don't know how many times I've counseled with someone whose biggest problem, in my opinion, was that they needed to forgive someone. Something had happened in their life, and they just weren't getting past it. They had been hurt and and pain in their life. And so many times, you know, I've heard this response. Well, you know, you just don't understand. You don't know how badly I've been hurt. You don't know how they hurt me. And, And then I will say, actually, I completely understand that they've hurt you. If they hadn't hurt you, you wouldn't be needing to forgive them. Now, would you? Make sense? Of course they hurt you. You know, I've been walking around on this planet for almost 62 years. In just a a little over a month, people all over the world will get dressed up in crazy costumes and hand out candy in honor of my birthday. 
October 31st. Every year I'm amazed at how many people go to such a big, you know, to-do for my birthday. Almost 62 years I've been walking around on this planet and I have yet to come up to someone who goes around forgiving people for doing something nice to them. That doesn't happen, does it? You know, Brother Bob, uh, the Lord spoke to me, and I just feel it in my heart. I want to give you this $1,000. <sighs> okay, I forgive you. You know, when someone does something nice for you in life, something incredible, you never don't feel the urge to forgive them, right? We only have to extend forgiveness when they have hurt us in some way. And maybe one of the reasons that forgiving others is so tough is because there's a misunderstanding maybe about what forgiving others actually is. So before we get into what forgiving others is, I want to spend just a few moments talking about a few things that forgiving others is not, okay? One, forgiving others does not mean you have to justify their actions. If someone has purposely done something mean or hurtful or harmful to you, you don't have to justify their actions, you know, by saying, oh, it, oh I'm, I'm sure they didn't mean it, probably an accident. I mean, especially if you know they did this thing on purpose. You don't have to. It doesn't mean you're going to justify what they have done. Sometimes people refuse to offer forgiveness to someone because they feel, well, then I'm, I'm making them think it was all right. Forgiveness has nothing to do with justifying their actions. Forgiveness, forgiving others, is not simply trusting the passage of time. How many of you have heard the old saying, time heals all wounds? Who's heard that? How many of you know that is absolutely hogwash? Time does not heal all wounds. Many of you know that is absolutely unfounded. There's a lot of people who feel the pain and the hurt of things that happened in their life years and years ago. Because the truth is, the passage of time might heal physical wounds, but it is a very poor remedy for healing emotional wounds, isn't it? Those can linger and linger and linger for years. Forgiving others is not denying that you are hurt or have been hurt. It's not saying things like, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. Didn't hurt at all. Didn't affect me in the slightest. I didn't even notice. You know who's good at that one? Us men. We're really good at that one. We love to deny that something has actually hurt us because someone might think, well, we're not tough. At a very early age, us guys, at early age, we begin to develop this knack for uh, developing this attitude, man, I am tough. I'm tough, and I'm rough, and I wear my diapers low. <laughs> I mean, it starts early, doesn't it, guys? But the truth is that an emotional wound is just like a physical wound in that if we don't deal with it, it's always going to get worse. Infection sets in, and it just begins to spread. So forgiving others is not about denying that you've even been hurt. Fourth, forgiving others is not about confronting others. 
Forgiveness has nothing to do with grabbing someone by the shirt collar and demanding an apology so that then you can forgive them. Forgiveness is not about us seeking revenge or getting in someone's face as much as we would love to because they have hurt us in some way, right? Forgiveness is not about any of these things. So what does it really mean to forgive others? How can we forgive others just as God forgives us? I tell you, it's, it's not easy. This is a tough one. And the only place that you can find the answers to that question is in God's Word. It's the only place. God's Word lays out this very clear process that we can walk through to find the freedom that God has for us when we're willing to forgive others. How many of you caught that word freedom? We all love freedom, right? When we refuse to forgive people, though, what we do is we put ourselves in bondage and we forfeit our freedom. So what I'd like for you to do this morning as we go through this message, I would like for you to try to really personalize it today. Don't look at this as some abstract intellectual exercise, but try to personalize it by thinking of someone in your life that perhaps you need to extend forgiveness to. So keeping that in mind, let's begin this five-step process of forgiveness. The first step in the process of forgiveness is to remember not remember the hurt and the pain, but to remember how much God has already forgiven you in your life. The first step in forgiving others is to remember how much God has forgiven you. How much has God forgiven you? If someone's asking me that question, my answer is a lot. I mean a bunch. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the prodigal son which is probably the most famous short story in the world. And the truth is this, the story of the prodigal son is actually my story. It's your story. It's everybody's story. We've all turned our backs on God at some point in our life and decided to kind of go our own way. We've all probably, as the Bible said, enjoyed sin for a season but that season runs out pretty quick. Who's discovered that? And when the fun ran out, we decide to return home and we find that our Heavenly Father was there waiting with open arms for us. We need to not only remember how much that we have been forgiven, but also remember how willing God was to forgive us. Ready and waiting to forgive us. We have to remember that God offers his forgiveness to us unconditionally. And that is what is expected of us. The reason I thought this series was so important right now, because I believe we are in the last of the last days. How many of you believe we're in the last days? And I'll tell you, depending on what happens in the next few months, things could accelerate at even a, a much more rapid pace. I'll just leave it at that, okay? I mean, who knows where this world is headed? However, as Christians, we don't have to live in fear. As in fact, God's Word says, when you see these birth pains, to look up towards heaven and thank God that he is in control and look for his return. We can rejoice in his return. So this is not a message of fear. 
other than the fact, I believe out of all the sins that us humans are capable of, I mean even the biggie, you know, murder, stealing, lying, cheating, immorality, there is a possibility, I feel, that this one thing may keep more people out of heaven than any of the others, and that is the refusal to offer forgiveness. Because I've, I've met some people in my day where you just thought they were powerful Christians, but the better you got to know them, you find out, boy, but there's a few people they cannot stand. I mean, they, I hate, is, is, I think you could use that word. It's like they, there's a few people, boy, everyone else they love with God's love, but man, these two people, I, mean, I hate those people. Now, I'm, I'm sure that's none of you. You love everybody. But I'm just telling you, they're out there. And no matter how well they perform in all these other areas of the kingdom of God, His word is true, and if we're going to believe it to be absolute truth, if there is something in their heart that they are harboring against other people, no matter what, how horrible of thing they did to them in their life, as I read my Bible, that's going to keep them out of heaven. And I believe we are at a crossroads here in the history of mankind that we need to be, make sure there is nothing in our life that's going to hinder us from inheriting the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I'm just telling you, we need to be making sure right now we are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. So there's an interesting story in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I'm just going to kind of give you the rundown of this thing. The king calls this guy into the palace before the throne because this guy owed the king uh, thousands of dollars. And the guy, of course, said, well, you know, I, I can't pay right now. And so the king says, well, throw him and his family into prison because that's what they did back then. Kind of like missing a credit card payment today. Said they took it serious. So the guy, of course, he begs, he begs for mercy and the king actually decides to forgive his debt. And what does this guy do? He, he leaves the presence of the king, goes out of the castle, and he tracks down this guy that owes him a few bucks. And he demands his money, and the guy says, I don't have it. And the guy says, well, you're going to debtor's prison. He has the guy thrown in prison. Well, word gets back to the king of what this guy did. After the king had just forgiven him a Thousands of dollars of debt. And when the king found out that he was unwilling to forgive this guy a few bucks of debt, he had him thrown into prison. Does anybody see the correlation in the story of how God, what he expects of us in our lives in the area of forgiveness? Are you following this story? What does prison represent? Four of you are on the ball. It represents hell in this story. And so this story ends, but Jesus continues to comment. He says, that's what my heavenly Father will do if you refuse to forgive others. Wow, that's some pretty strong language here, don't you think? Have you all been thinking of someone you might need to extend some forgiveness to? I'm just reminding you here. Maybe a spouse, a parent, a friend, maybe an enemy. We even have to forgive them. Continuing... Uh, uh, continue this morning to think about how you can apply this process to extending forgiveness to someone who, in your mind, doesn't deserve it because they've hurt you.
Isn't it amazing how we are always deserving of forgiveness? But people who hurt us are not always, you know, they don't deserve it a lot of times in our mind. But we always are. But anyway, this first step in the process is to remember how much you have been forgiven. The second step is, is kind of the key to this whole process. And if I had to say it in one word, second step is release. When you need to forgive someone, it means that you need to completely release them. And why you say, well, what does that word mean? It means that you're going to voluntarily let go of the bitterness and the resentment that they have brought into your life. Were they guilty? Yes. Do they deserve forgiveness? No more than we deserve forgiveness when we go before God asking for it. But does he give it to us? Yes. So it means that you're voluntarily uh, letting go of this anger, this bitterness, resentments, and you're going to stop playing that video over and over in your mind of whatever this incident was that caused you this hurt and this pain. Bitterness will destroy you. You've heard me say this a lot of times. Bitterness is going to destroy you a lot quicker than the one who caused it. And I, I've, you've heard me use this Dr. Laura quote on many occasions. That bitterness is a poison that you drink hoping it's going to hurt someone else. Makes absolutely no sense in the world, right? But people drink it all the time. So to release a person means that you don't have to confront them. You don't have to have everything reconciled. It's a decision. It's a choice you're going to make. Forgiveness is always a choice. Forgiveness is never an emotion. Forgiveness is always a choice. And in this step of the process, you're making a choice to forgive them. And when you make that choice, you then experience this God-given freedom that is hard to explain, but it is real as real gets. And I'm sure many of, you, many of you have experienced that freedom of just letting go of the pain and offering and extending forgiveness. There is a tremendous freedom when you let go of that grudge that you've been hauling around for so long. And there's a few practical things. I've, I've read you know, some things that people tell you to do to help let go of this. Maybe it helps. I don't know. One of them is write them a letter telling them exactly what you think. And then when you're done writing it, wrinkle it up and throw it in the garbage. Or hold an imaginary conversation. Say everything you want to say and then just release it. And when we fully offer that release to someone, what we're actually saying or doing is we are voluntarily giving up some of our rights. That's right. You know, if someone hurts us, we have the right to be hurt, Right? We, we're, we're voluntarily giving up some of these rights. One right that we're giving up is we're giving up the right for repayment. And that's why sometimes forgiveness is so hard because people are going to hang on to that boy until the day comes they get their repayment. When somebody hurts us in our minds, they become indebted to us. Boy, you owe me. They become indebted. They're in debt to us because they hurt us, and because they hurt us, now they owe us. Don't they? They owe us. I'm not just going to forgive them. They owe me. 
They need to repay us for this wrong that they've done. But when you decide to just release that pain and, and that hurt in your life and releasing that person, you're giving up your right to repayment. You're saying that you have offered release to this person and they don't owe you anything anymore. Just like Jesus offers to us when we sin against His Word. Man, aren't you glad He's not up there copping an attitude? Boy, you owe me and you're not going to heaven until I get repayment. No, instead, He just says, look, all you, just ask me to forgive you and I'll do it. Isn't that great? Secondly, when you're releasing someone, you release your right to revenge. Oh, this is a big one because we, boy, we hate to give up the right to revenge. Revenge is sweet. And we are just waiting for that sweet day when they don't see it coming, but buddy, we let them have it because they've hurt us so bad, right? Anybody here? I'm probably the only one that knows what I'm talking about there, right? Boy, are they going to get it sometime, boy. And I'm just, boy, I'm going to give it to them right between the eyes. When they least expect it, no, it's going to be sweet. We've all had feelings like that, I'm sure. But, you know, when someone wrongs us, man, we just want to get, we just want to get back at them. We want to give them what they got coming. Of course, I've told you many times, don't ever pray that prayer. Lord, just give me what I got coming. That's dumb. But that's how we feel towards people. But revenge is never ours. God says it in his word. We are never to avenge ourselves. He says that he's going to take care of the vengeance. But we can just let it go. It always comes down to one of two things. We are either going to release a person and be done with it, or we are going to rehearse the painful episode that has hurt us. And we'll just rehearse that over and over, and we'll never get beyond it. It always comes down to those two things. We're going to release, or we're going to rehearse one of the two. But once you have made this big step of just voluntarily releasing your rights, releasing that pain and that hurt, that grudge against someone, then you become ready for step three. And step three is this, recognize. Say, recognize what? I'm going to share it with you. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Now you are ready to recognize God's purpose in this whole process. Most people make this huge mistake of getting this step out of order. They want this step, the step of recognizing, uh, of recognizing God's purpose. They want that to be step number two, not three. And we'll, and, and we'll have this attitude that says, God, if you'll just show me the purpose for this pain, then maybe I'll be able to forgive this person. Anybody been there? Got those steps out of whack? That's not how it's going to work. God says that we have to release this person first because if we are busy holding and carrying on, just holding on to this grudge against someone, then we are separating ourselves from God and He can't speak to us properly. He can't bless us. He can't forgive us. 
if we're hauling this grudge around. So when you decide to let go of that pain and the bitterness, you open up the doors of communication, and now God is able to reveal his purpose in you experiencing this pain in life. And how many of you have experienced pain in your life only for God to come back and use that experience for you to help people? You know, there's a verse in the Bible that you've probably heard people misuse before. It's Romans 8.28. A lot of people misinterpret this verse and they say something like this. Oh yeah, Romans 8.28. All things will be good to those who love the Lord. Who knows that's not true? I've heard that is absolutely not what that verse says. What it says is God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. The thing that this verse is not saying is that if you love the Lord, everything in your life is always going to be good. Absolutely not. The Bible never tells us anywhere that all things are going to be good. In fact, it's the opposite. The Bible says in this life, you will have trouble. There's a whole bunch of things in life that aren't good, right? You've all experienced plenty of things in life that absolutely were not good. And for some people, it, it, it's horrible. It's, it, it's these life-changing events, you know, abuse of different forms that people have suffered in the past. That's not good. Pain and suffering that we go through sometimes, that's not good. God's not saying that all things are going to be good. So let's just call it the way it is. Some things that we experience in life are going to be just absolutely bad. You been there? You know, but God is promising us this. What he's saying is this. When we're faithful to release that pain and that hurt and that, that, that right for vengeance, when we're able to let go of that and forgive others who have caused bad things in our life, he is going to miraculously bring something good out of these situations that will help us minister to other people through life experience. So God never tells us that everything's going to be good. He says that he will bring good out of bad situations. And I mean, I know the pain of trying to understand how God could possibly bring something good out of a horrible situation in our lives. I've experienced firsthand, as many of you have experienced firsthand. And if you've been around here very long, you, you've heard me share the story of how my sister Brenda, she was three years older than me, just I mean, a shining example of Christianity and servanthood to Christ. Somebody calls her on the phone. Janet and I, we remember the evening when she got the call. A young man wanted some Christian counseling, which is what she did quite often. She goes, I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version. She goes to counsel with him. And in the midst of this conversation, this young man becomes enraged that his life is such a mess and her seems so perfect. And he strangles her to death. Our family went through that. And I'm telling you, for years, I, had, I struggled with forgiveness. I mean, one time I heard when he was in prison that he had gotten saved and was now working alongside the chaplain and ministering the gospel to others in prison. And when I was told that, I thought, praise God, hallelujah. No, that is not what I thought. I said, you got to be kidding me. Just my luck. This guy that I want to burn in the pits of hell in the hottest part forever and ever and ever. 
goes and gets himself saved. Crud. Now, I'm probably the only person that's ever been that nasty, right? Just upset that somebody, you know, is, I don't know if it's true. He's never had any conversation with us or anything. But, you know, uh, if it is, I, still, I had a rough time with that. Boy, now that's unforgiveness right there, right? And I struggled for years. It took me a long time to get to the point where I could just let go. And really, I could say it with my aunt. People would ask me, Doug, have you forgiven him? Yeah, I forgive him. <laughs> I was just saying that. I knew that was the right answer. Took a long time to work through that. And I came to the realization that if God is ever going to use me, or if I, people would say, I guess this is what really got me. This helped me in my forgiveness process. People would say, well, you know, at least, Doug, you know you're going to see her in eternity. And I would just agree with them. And inside I was thinking, man, if I don't make some life changes, I'm not going to be seeing her in eternity. And I knew that I had to, I had to make some changes in my life because at that time, I knew all about church. I knew all about God. I had all the right answers, but I also knew I really wasn't living a fully committed life to Christ. And I knew I'm, if I'm going to see my sister in heaven, I've got to make some changes in my life. And I would say today, I think chances are very, very good. Had I not gone through that process there's a slim chance I would be standing here preaching the gospel this morning. That's the impact that it had on my life. And I'm sure if someone were to ask Brenda, wow, would you do that again? She said, I'd do it again. I'd do it a hundred times if it meant people coming to Christ. That was just her attitude. Man, she was weird. She wasn't like the rest of us. We got to work on getting there, don't we? So that's how I was challenged to get serious about a relationship with God in my life. And I've learned that God can bring purpose out of pain in our life. God will bring ministry out of misery. Isn't that amazing? How many of you, and you've experienced that in your life, God has brought ministry into your life through misery that you went through. It's absolutely truth. We've got to get to that point. Now, these first three steps we talked about in this process of forgiving, these are all absolutely mandatory steps. There's no hedging around any of these steps. We have to remember what God has done in our life in the area of forgiveness. We have to release this pain and hurt, release the vengeance that we're wanting to hang on to, and then we need to recognize the good that God wants to bring into our life through this uh, whatever the situation was. Now, this fourth one here, this fourth step is conditional at times. It's conditional. And the fourth step is to reestablish. Reestablish relationships. And I want to say that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. They're two separate things. Re forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgive, forget, and restore, those are all three different things. There are times in our life where we need to try and reconcile and reestablish relationships. And there are times in our life where we need to extend forgiveness and not reestablish relationships. It's, it's probably a good idea to try and reconcile 
a relationship that's going to bring some health, healthy things into your life. It's not a good idea to reconcile a relationship that is most likely going to lead to more pain and hurt, temptation, you name it. God tells us to forgive. He doesn't demand that we rebuild all relationships. He actually gives us the discernment and the will and the freedom to make that call in our lives. Now, if reconciliation is possible in a healthy way, God is always for us reconciling relationships in our life. But continuing in relationships that are going to keep fueling your pain, your even cause you to fall back into some very unhealthy life habits, sinful life habits, then it's better to just forgive and release someone from your life and move on. I think Romans 12.18 speaks to this truth. Here's what it says. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Isn't that interesting that the Apostle Paul just didn't, put, put, didn't just put a big old you know, exclamation point after the word everyone? Do your part to live in peace with everyone. He put a comma and he said, well, as much as possible. Because how many of you know there's some folks out there, no matter how hard you try, things are never going to be right. And there's always going to be pain and there's always going to be hurt And sometimes you just have to walk away from that. You forgive, you release, and you walk away. This simply, this verse tells us that we need to do all that we can do. And all that we can do is is all we can do. We can forgive, we can release someone, but we have absolutely no control over how they're going to treat us or respond to us in the future. We can't control that. Sometimes we're able to reestablish relationships with people that we've had to forgive of something. It's happened many times in our lives, probably. And God wants us to do that if it's possible and healthy in our Christian journey. All we can do is our part. And God is telling us to just make sure you've done what you can do to fully extend the olive branch, so to speak. God wants us to do as much as possible to live in peace with others. But if they aren't interested, we can't control that. But nor are we held accountable if we've done our part. Once you've remembered, released, recognized, and tried to reestablish, then it comes to step number five, the fifth step in this process, which is repeat. Repeat, repeat, repeat. It's not going to be a one-time deal, is it? The forgiveness process, I say, is like washing your hair. Have you ever read the instructions for those who need to read the instructions? Now, what do I do with this shampoo? And you look at it, and I don't care what shampoo bottle it is. What does it say? It says, wash, rinse, and repeat. Does anybody do that? Why does it say, why are they telling us to repeat? I'm going to tell you why. It's so that they can sell twice as much shampoo. (laughs) Now, these processes are similar, but that's kind of where it ends. You don't even have to wash your hair twice. It's ridiculous. But it is a similar process because you're going to be washing your hair for the rest of your life. Well, some of you, not all of us.
That's right. And you're going to need to be forgiving people for the rest of your life. This is not going. This process isn't ending anytime soon. As long as you're hanging out among the humans, you're going to be in situations where you need to extend forgiveness, right? So, you know, I ask you at the, at the beginning, be thinking of someone that maybe you just need to offer some forgiveness today. But that's just one person. Unless you've been leading a very sheltered life, chances are good there might be a few people, right? That you need to forgive. And even if you can't think of anyone else right at this moment, you take it to the bank, there's going to be somebody down the road here. God doesn't promise any of us this smooth, pain-free ride until we get to heaven. So we're going to need to repeat this process of forgiving many, many times in our life. You know, the past two weeks, we've talked a lot about the Apostle Peter. He was, he was the most outspoken and kind of brash of the disciples. He always makes for kind of an easy target. He never hesitated to say what was on his mind. Nobody had to wonder, well, I wonder what he's thinking. And one day, Peter comes stomping in, and he asks Jesus this question. He says, Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive another person? Now, do you think this question just came out of the blue? You know, I think today, I'll go in and ask Jesus, how many times exactly do I have to forgive someone? Or do you think something had just happened with some knucklehead that he was dealing with who did something stupid and he wanted to just smash him in the mouth, but at first he goes in and asks Jesus uh, this question about forgiveness. How many of you think maybe it's a little something more like that? Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive someone? I mean, he was frustrated over something here. You know, and in that day, the law, the actual letter of the law said you had to forgive someone seven times before you just knocked them down and beat the snot out of them. So here's what Jesus said to Peter. He says, I know that the law says seven times, but I say 70 times seven. Right now, all of you mathematicians, you're calculating. 490. That's 490 times, but after that, it is Katie by the door. You better run like the wind because we hit 490. That's not what Jesus is saying here, right? What he's saying is, how many times do you want God to forgive you? Wow. I don't know how many times in my life I have had to ask Jesus to forgive me of something. Like I said, I'm, I'm going on 62, and I'm going to guess. I think it's a safe bet to say I've maxed out my 490. Probably a long time ago. I mean, what a horrible thing it would be if, if I go before God and I say, God, please forgive me because... Oh, wait, 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 wait there, Doug. You just hit 491. Here are your asbestos slippers. Four ninety-one, the magic number. Aren't you glad that when we go before God to ask forgiveness, He forgives us every time? So in God's math, seventy times seven is not four ninety; it's just every time. Matthew six fourteen and fifteen says. But if you forgive those, by the way, I want to dismiss those who are going to be involved in the, in the uh, baptism at this time. 
Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, But if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will do what? He'll forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. How many of you realize that is a very, very important sentence in the Word of God? It's something we absolutely have to understand. Because even though somebody did something horrible to us and they really don't deserve forgiveness they've just been so been so mean and nasty that surely God is going to understand well I'm not forgiving them the answer is no he's not going to understand that we have to let go of that no matter how guilty that party is no matter how horrible they've been we for our own sake and so for the fact that God's forgiveness will be ours we have to let it go and we have to offer forgiveness. And we're not going to be able to do it without God working, living and working in our life. You know, I don't know how much plainer he can make it. Forgiveness is always a choice. Forgiveness does not come natural. Eating cotton candy comes natural. Maybe you can tell. I love cotton candy. And no one had to teach me to like it. You know, now there's been people, I've, I've been told this before, you're not leaving the table till you've eaten that broccoli, young man. But no one had to say, you're not leaving the table till you've finished your cotton candy. It comes so natural. But I'm telling you, as natural as that comes, that's how unnatural forgiveness comes in our life. It's never something that's just going to happen naturally. You're going to have to make a choice or else it's not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you are lost. You see how important this is? Is it worth being angry with someone over something they've done to us, no matter how horrible it may be? Is it worth sacrificing eternal life in heaven? Absolutely not. But that's what we do sometimes because we don't think about that. By hauling this grudge around by hauling this anger or this pain we are disqualifying ourselves from eternity with God nothing is worth that right so is it worth offering forgiveness absolutely it's the best part of the deal here we absolutely have to do it we can choose to hold on to grudges and exclude ourselves from God's forgiveness or we can choose to forgive and live in that complete freedom that God offers us. I urge you today to choose forgiveness. It is of the utmost importance and the hour, I believe, is very, very late. There's not much, there, there's just maybe minutes left, who knows, hours, days, months, for you to keep hauling that around before it's too late. You need to make a choice today to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and loving to each other and forgive others just as God forgave you in Christ. I want us to close today by praying a prayer of forgiveness, maybe for that person that you've brought into your mind that you've been, you know, you've been hauling some pain and some unforgiveness around. You need to leave here today knowing that you are experiencing God's complete freedom of forgiveness. I want us to all bow our heads this morning. And if you're truly ready to 
forgive this morning, then just I want you to just pray this very simple prayer with me. Let's all pray this. Hopefully you, if there's someone in your life you need to forgive, you're focusing on that. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Today I offer to forgive. I forgive them for the hurt they've caused me. Show me the action that I can take to reestablish relationships. Help me always be willing to forgive others just as you forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.